Well, good morning, everybody. If you didn't get a handout, there are still some in the corners and probably making their ways around. You can snag one. Uh, Daniel, could you maybe grab that stack and anybody that doesn't have one, if you could raise your hand. If you guys remember previously in the book of Mark, we were in chapters 4 and 5, and we were seeing Jesus doing miracles, he, uh, casting out demons in Gentile country, and uh, calming the storm in the boat with his disciples, and uh, raising uh, a 12-year-old girl from the dead, and healing a, a, a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years. So, no doubt, Jesus had the authority and power of God, and it, his teachings, his preaching were being verified by his healings. And so we're going to continue in the book of Mark chapter 6, so if you want to be turning there, I will have the slides, I'm um, sorry, the verses on, on the, the slides up ahead, uh, but I want to start... This kind of looks like Decker as I'm just kind of looking at it. <laughs> this, is, this is actually uh, Michael Uslan. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. I don't even know where I was at, but I was at some kind of conference. I think it was in downtown Kansas City, maybe at the Marriott. And Michael Uslan was one of the speakers. And I had no idea who he was, but he started talking, and as he was sharing his story, it really resonated with me. And uh, the reason is because uh, he is a Batman and comic book nerd, okay? <laughs> so he grew up loving comic books, and specifically The Dark Knight, Batman, was like one of his favorites. And uh, so he, he was growing up, uh, probably 50s, 60s, and uh, as a child, he was so excited when they were going to put Batman on TV, but he was appalled when he saw um, the, the flashing lights and the pow and the zap and the, and the wham and the surf rock intro. And if, if, have any of you guys seen this version of Batman? Yeah. Yeah. I, show, I showed my, my ch I actually, like two weeks ago when I was sick, I was like, I want to show my kids one of the Batmans, but the, the newer ones are a little intense for my young ones. So I was like, I'm going to show them this campy Batman. And, and uh, there was a scene where like Batman is on a helicopter with a rope and a shark jumps and bites his leg and he gets shark spray and sprays the shark and the shark falls off. Okay. Like this is, so Michael Uslan was just like appalled by this. Cause he was like, this is not the Batman that I see in my comic books, right? I think we can kind of relate. It's like sometimes we see representations of Jesus on, 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 on social media or, or representations of Christians, and you're like, that's not biblical Christianity. That's not the Jesus that I know. But so Michael Uslan, he uh, he went to college at Indiana University, <laughs> and part of his story was that he actually he was in the College of Arts and Science, and he made a case that comic books were actually modern day mythology, 
And uh, it sounds like he kind of got in a heated debate with one of the deans of the College of Arts and Science and was able to talk them into letting him teach the first comic book class in American universities specifically focused on comic books and modern day folklore. And this, this class got a lot of traction. It became one of the most popular classes of that time. And it actually uh, caught the ears of DC Comics. And so he was actually invited to start writing some of the stories, uh, some uh, contributing to the, the narratives of Batman. The problem was that Batman's uh, reputation had kind of been destroyed by the 60s version. Uh, nobody took Batman seriously. And even within DC Comics, they kind of saw it as kind of a brand that wasn't really worth anything. People weren't like buying the comic books. And I don't know if I'm fully telling the story right, but you guys kind of get the heart of it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, this comic book's just kind of sitting on the shelf. We're still writing it. You know, people know the name, but... Um, well, Michael Uslan had a vision to actually bring Batman back to life, how he truly knew him to be, okay? And so he talked DC Comics into selling him the rights to Batman. And they were like, this is a bad idea. Like, you're investing everything you have to buy this thing that's not worth anything. But he had a vision for it. And so in, uh, I think it was the late 80s or early 90s, he started uh, casting this vision to Tim Burton, who had done Beetlejuice. And uh, again, like people were just like, this is crazy that you're using Batman um, to, to try to make a movie. You're spending millions of dollars on this. Michael Keaton at the time uh, was uh, known for Beetlejuice. He was a comedian. And so again, it was kind of like, why are you doing this movie with Michael Keaton? Nobody's going to take him seriously. But um, this ended up being a blockbuster hit. I remember being a kid and watching this and just being like, I mean, this was like my favorite movie. I've watched it so many times. And the Batman franchise uh, actually, uh, oh, so Michael Uslan uh, has been the executive producer of every Batman since this one up until the modern. So it's uh, over $1.6 billion in revenue um, for the three decades of movies that they've been making. But again, why, why, do, why am I talking about Michael Slam and Batman? Well, first off, uh, Philip Murphy uh, apparently has the voice of Batman while he's sick. So we confirmed that on WhatsApp. Um, no, but I, th but I think, you know, I kind of think, I, when I think about Michael Slam's story, I kind of think about Noah building an ark. And people being like, this is, this is just crazy. Like, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. This is like, nothing's going to happen with this thing, right? And there are times when uh, there will be adversity to the mission or the vision that we have. And so even for Jesus in Mark chapter 6, people have a misperception of him. It's kind of like he went back to his high school graduation. And people are thinking... Oh, this is, you know, this is the carpenter, Jesus, you know, who was building chairs for my family the other day. Uh, oh, this, this is the son of Mary, you know, had kind of, a, kind, of, kind of a controversial background, you know, that pregnancy, that single mom, 
you know, virgin, you know, what's going on there? Where's his dad? We don't really know those details. But they have a mental model of who Jesus Christ is. And what we're going to see in Mark chapter 6 is that this faulty perception of Jesus absolutely hindered ministry. And I think the question that we need to be asking is, have we, do we have the right picture of who Jesus is? Um, or has he become that 60s version of the Batman, you know, that, that's just not really who it is. So let's dive into the text. You know, this is, this is just a photo. A lot of times, like when people think about Jesus, he's got really pale skin. He's got blue eyes, um, which, you know, Jesus was from the Middle East. And I don't think we need to, to nerd out on his physical characteristics. Um, but I think, again, it's like people think about Jesus as being uh, nice. Um, he's my co-pilot. Uh, Jesus is my homeboy, if you've ever seen those uh, T-shirts. But it's like, who is Jesus really? Okay, And that, it's so important that we have that right um, mentality. So again, Lord, I just want to pray, ask that you would help us to see you for who you truly are um, and not who we want you to be, um, but who you are. All right. So Mark chapter six, one through six, ministry can be hindered. So we'll dive into the text. And he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So they're in Nazareth, his hometown. He's teaching in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? We went to high school with these people. And are not his sisters with us? They don't even believe in him. Okay? I'm adding some text here. But this is, you know, probably the mentality that they had. And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work. This is God in the flesh. Scripture is saying, and he could, do there, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. There's a few times when Jesus marvels in Scripture. There's one time when he's marveling at the faith of a centurion. This faith is greater than even some of the Jewish leaders and people that grew up with scripture and this Roman centurion has great faith and Jesus is marveling at it. But here we see Jesus in his hometown, the people that he went to high school with, and he's marveling at their unbelief. It's astounding to him. So this is the first point. A faulty perception of Jesus can hinder his mighty work in your life. Sorry, the floor is really sticky. If you hear it, keep on. That's, that's just, yeah. Maybe I should get in socks. Uh, a faulty perception of Jesus can hinder his mighty work in your life. And, you know, we have a, a very different perspective in Scripture. We actually have prophecies of Jesus' second coming. And, man, when we're telling people about Jesus, um, absolutely, now is the time for repentance 
now is the time to know God and his mercy. But there's also a second coming, and Jesus is going to come with a sword. He's going to rule with a rod of iron in the millennial reign. He's not going to be popular with some people, and he's not going to be nice. Do we have a full perception of who Jesus is? We need to be wrestling with these things, and we need to be, you know, as we're thinking about telling people, it's like I love telling people God loves you. It's really hard to get to that second point. God is also a righteous judge. The reason why Jesus had to die was because God is a good judge, but he loves you. It's a paradox. And that paradox meets at the cross. And so we need to be giving that full picture to people of who Jesus is, and we need to be embodying that in our lives. But there's a second point that I want to um, just make from this text, that a faulty perception of Christ's indwelling can also hinder his mighty work in your life, in the lives of others. Okay? So they're in the synagogue. They're hearing Jesus preaching. Uh, they, know, they know the Jesus of the past. And it's, man, they have huge unbelief because of this. Think about what Pastor Mitch has been teaching us about the tabernacle and God's glory and God's presence. And what scripture teaches us, this is a mystery revealed, but God has now through his spirit made us his temple, his indwelling. And I think often in the same way that the Nazarites seeing Jesus and being like, oh, we know we know the old Jesus. We know his story. We know his family. You know, familiarity can breed contempt, that maxim. I think in the same way, sometimes we look at our own lives and we see who we are in the flesh. And we say, oh, I know who I am. And I'll never, I'll never be able to evangelize. I'll never be able to lead a ministry. I'll, ne I'll never be able to complete LFBI. I'll never be able, you know, like we, it's like we ignore the fact that Jesus Christ dwells in us and we're stuck at that high school reunion. So I want you guys to do a little exercise. I want you to pull out your phones and I want you to take a selfie right now, right now. I'm serious. I want, I want you guys to look in the mirror, get your phones out, take a photo, take a selfie of yourself. Is that redundant? Can I use yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just want to ask you this question. What do you see? You know, Colossians, Colossians 1, 26 through 28, talks that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Do you see yourself as the temple of the Holy Ghost? Or again, are you stuck in that high school reunion? I know, I know who I am. I know who I am when nobody sees me. Or do you see yourself as a temple of the Holy Ghost? It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? And so again, I just want to anchor us back in this point that if we don't see that God is in us, that he's dwelling in us, 
in a lot of ways, we're kind of like the Nazarenes that are just like, who is this Jesus, right? And we're, we're little Christians. We're little Christ. God dwells in us. So the next section that we're going to see here, so ministry can be hindered, but even amidst this, we're going to see ministry can be multiplied. So Mark chapter 6, verse 7, says this, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said to them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart in that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out, so the, the disciples, the apostles, and they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to jump to verse 30. Jump to verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, why did I have you jump to verse 30? Now, this is just something that I just want to share. When, when I'm reading the Bible, um, there are times when a parenthetical in the story or in the epistle will be put here. Paul's kind of like notorious for this. He'll be like talking about something and then he'll put a parenthesis that's like 20 verses. <laughs> and then and, and you get through it and you're like, what were we talking about? And then when that parenthesis ends, it's like he's back towards like the beginning. And um, there's actually a huge parenthetical in Mark 6. There's like a flashback to this narrative of... Uh, John the Baptist being beheaded. So we're going to hit that. But again, I want, um, but, you know, in just understanding what's happening in this passage, I, for a moment, kind of chopped that out and put that aside just to give some focus. So I just want to read verse 13 again, and then go to 30. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And then verse 30, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. So discipleship multiplies the mighty works of God in the lives of others through both word and deed. And that, that's what verse 30 is saying, is that the apostles gathered themselves together and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And what you can see here is that I think discipleship has to not just be academic. It, it can't just be that we're just doing scripture, but it has to go to application. It has to go to application. And for the disciples, this was actually doing what the Lord had commanded them to do, to, to heal and to cast out demons. What you see in 1 Corinthians is that the Jews required a sign. 
This was one of the ways that God would verify a prophet. You think about Moses bringing messages to both the children of Israel and also to Pharaoh. How did he verify that? Yeah, Because anybody could say, hey, God told me. God, t- God gave me a dream. How do we discern if it's truly from God? Well, now in the New Testament as believers, we can, we can validate it through the word of God. Scripture was being written in real time back then. You didn't always have, like, they didn't have the Gospels when the Gospels were actually being lived out. So how do you know if God's actually talking? Well, through, through, through signs and wonders, right? But just a couple of things to call out from, from this passage. And, and, you know, there's a lot of text here, and I want to make sure we get through it all. So I'm just going to, to just focus on that, again, when they were delivering the message, for those that offered hospitality or received their message, you know, they're receiving God's grace, his mercy, and his truth. But for those that showed hostility, for those that actually rejected, what they're going to receive from God is his truth, but also his judgment. And God was warning that for those that don't receive your message, it's going like, to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for these people that reject it. And so again, what's our perception of God? What's our perception of Christ? And what message are we bringing? And again, it's easy to say God loves you, and he does. But that's not just like God affirms you in your current state and wants you to stay that way. God loves you, but he's also holy and righteous, and he's a righteous judge, and there will be a coming judgment. And we need to make sure that we have that in the forefront of our message as well. Now, the incredible thing, you know, Jesus, uh, his ministry was hindered by lack of faith, but we also saw that it was multiplied through discipleship. And um, again, just a plug, if you haven't gone through discipleship, or if you're on the fence of, you know, is it, do I have time to help disciple somebody else? One of the, I mean, first, it's obedience to scripture. We're called to be disciples. But you think about, just that multiplication factor. Jesus in the flesh could only be in one place. But imagine when the 12 apostles were commissioned out. All of a sudden, how much more of his word is getting out there? How much more of God's wonder is getting out there? So we have an opportunity to multiply our ministry in that way. But we also recognize that ministry can be attacked. And this is, we're going to go to that parenthetical now. So Mark 6, verses 14 through 29. And King Herod heard of him. So this is while the disciples are doing the signs and wonders, like words getting out. And King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist, sorry, I didn't pull it up there. Um, that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show for themselves in him. Verse 15, others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said it is John, whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John, 
and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have him killed, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And while he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Verse 21, and when a convenient day was come, notice that convenience, when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, his captains, and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask me, I will give it to thee. Unto the half of my kingdom. Okay, can I just pause here and say this was like the stupidest thing you could have said. (laughs) Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Okay. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Okay, and can I say that if you have an opportunity to get half of a kingdom... And you asked for this. This is the second stupidest thing that could have been asked. Um, but I mean, in all sobriety, this is this is this is this is terrible. Like, I mean, could you imagine like one of our missionaries? You know, like we uh, we've been praying for for the lady to come back home. Like this is terrible. She died on the mission field. And the 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 reports that we hear um, of pastors in India, like actually being murdered. How, like these are terrible things. Satan does not want the ministry of God to prevail. And he'll do whatever he takes. These are terrible things. Verse 24, and she went forth and said unto her, oh, I'm sorry, here, we'll keep it going. Um, and she swear unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask me, I shall give it. Okay, verse 24, and she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with the haste into the king and asked, saying, I will that thou wilt give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes, which sat with them, he would not reject her. And he immediately, uh, and immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went in and beheaded him in the prison. And brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of direction that we could take this passage. But again, it just, it, just keeping with the theme of God's ministry and having a right perception of God. Okay, we're going to take this through the lens of um, of King Herod, and it's this, that the love of pleasure and man's praise will silence or distort the voice of the Lord in your life. The love of pleasure and man's praise will silent, silence or distort the voice of the Lord in your life. And you know, this King Herod, eventually... We're going to see in the book of Luke, well, we might not actually read it in class, but in the book of Luke, um, 
Herod actually gets a chance to have Jesus stand in front of him. And he wants Jesus to do a miracle, almost like he's some kind of uh, novelty. Oh, I've heard that you can do miracles and stuff like that. Jesus would not answer him a word. And I don't know if Jesus was thinking about John the Baptist being beheaded, and he just, there was nothing to say to this person. You know, I, I don't know every reason why Jesus didn't speak to him a word, but that was the reality in Herod's life, is that God stopped speaking to him. Now, contrast this to Ephesians 5, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read this to you. This is the privilege of the Christian, okay? Ephesians 5, verse 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, this is a commandment, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do you know how, like, at peace we can be when we know what the will of the Lord is and we're in it? This is a commandment for us to understand that. We don't have to be guessing what God wants to see in our life. We don't have to be guessing. This is a commandment of Scripture. And verse 18 says this, Ephesians 5:18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and so this is the exact opposite of what's happening with Herod. Herod's getting drunk. He cares more about the opinion of man. So even though he knows that he said something foolish, for the fear of man, he wouldn't retract it. So we need to be careful about staying sober. You know, and sobriety doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs. You can be drunk with entertainment. You can be, you can be drunk with success. We need to stay sober so that we know what the will of the Lord is in our lives. And the good news is that even though this is heartbreaking that John the Baptist was beheaded, we know that, that hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is going to continue uh, to, to, to show himself strong. And so we're going to see ministry manifest, okay? So we're going to pick up Mark 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things. Notice it's calling them apostles at this point, okay? They were sent out from Jesus to go and preach and to do the miracles. They came back and they're giving the report. And the apostles gathered themselves together into Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Verse 31, and he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat. Now notice, leisure, right? No leisure so much as to eat. Man, sometimes ministry, you don't get to stop. It's like, it's, it's relentless. <laughs> it's keep on, it just keeps on asking more of you. So verse 32, And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Okay, so this is Jesus' direction. He's bringing them to almost like what I would think of a little bit of a, a retreat. Let's take a breather. Let's get some food. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto them. Verse 34. 
And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as a sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. He, Jesus, answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And I read it with that tone. Think about the time, like think about when Jesus uh, was being thronged by the people and virtue came out of him by the bleeding woman. And he says, Who touched me? And kind of the voice and tone of the disciples at that time. What do you mean who touched you? Like everybody's touching you, right? And I kind of see, you know, as I'm reading this, they're kind of in that same vein, that same kind of spirit of like, Jesus, like you're, you're talking crazy talk. Like, what do you, like, how are we going to feed them? Like that's a year's worth of wages to feed 5,000 people, right? Verse 38, and he saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew... They say five and two fishes. Oops. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves. And notice this and gave them to his disciples to set before them. So ministry multiplied. Okay gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two fishes and the two fishes divided he among them all and they did all eat and were filled and they the disciples took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fishes and they that did eat the loaves were about 5000 men that's not even including you know the children that might have been with them so the, the key point here uh, that I want to call out is that ministry is rarely convenient and not always practical. Sometimes ministry can be very practical, but sometimes it doesn't feel practical, right? Ministry is rarely convenient and not always practical, but the Lord will always provide for his mighty work. Lord will always provide for his mighty work. Jesus had these people sit down in a green pasture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus saw these people as, as sheep without a shepherd. I, I think he wanted that time with his disciples. He wanted that retreat. And yet this opportunity for ministry came and it was not convenient and it probably didn't feel good. And the reality is there will be times when God will put an opportunity in front of you or in front of me. And sometimes we've got to kind of die to what we thought we were going to do for that day. And man, that can hurt. But man, See how God will multiply the ministry through it all. As I read this, and 
you know, part of me is like, yeah, I know Jesus like was definitely feeding these people. <laughs> like there's a practicality to this ministry. Part of me is like, how much of this was about the people that needed feeding? And how much of this was about the disciples needing to understand how God can work? They're in the desert with no food. It kind of sounds a lot like uh, the children of Israel going through the wilderness. And Jehovah had provided manna for the children of Israel day in and day out for, for decades. And yet the disciples are in a very similar boat for an evening and don't have faith to see how can God provide in this moment. I love this quote by Warren Wearsby. Hope you don't get tired of these quotes because I've been using Warren Wearsby as just like a, a help um, as I've been studying this stuff out. He says, the miracle took place in his hands, Jesus' hands, right? He prayed, blessed it. Not in theirs, the disciples. For whatever we give to him, he can bless and multiply. We are not the manufacturers. We are only the distributors. And so, you know, we got to recognize that like whatever God's given us, it can be, it can feel minuscule. Man, all we got is five loaves. All we got is two fish. But the need is thousands of loaves, thousands of fish. And there's a gap, right? There's, there's a gap in the math. But man, God can take whatever we have because it's not about what we have. It's about what God can do. It's about his glory. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up by looking at the last two sections very quickly. Ministry revisited. Okay. Ministry revisited. Sometimes we got to go around the mountain again because we didn't learn the lesson the first time. Mark 6, verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he, debar- he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. Verse 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and about the fourth watch of the night. And he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed them by. <laughs> I love that little, little note. It's like Jesus is like walking on water like, oh, fancy seeing you here. Come here often. Um, this isn't the first time the, the, the disciples are in a storm. But what's different this time? This time Jesus isn't in the boat with them. Had anything changed for them? Not really. Jesus had told them to go to the other side. So he provided for that the first time and he's going to provide it again. Um, but it's like Jesus would have beat them to the other side if he hadn't stopped. It's kind of like when John's like discreetly saying, like, you know, when we were going to see the, the resurrection and verify the tomb, like I kind of outran Peter. <laughs> Just side note. Um, <laughs> okay, verse 49. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 51. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, 
And check this out. Verse 52. Why was this a struggle? For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. So they're in the desert. The Lord's providing manna, right? But their heart was hardened. And think about what Pastor Sam was teaching on, on Tuesday night. Just about that temptation of having unbelief that the Lord will provide and wanting to go back, right? Wanting to go back to Egypt. So when our heart is hard, the Lord will put us in a learning loop until we surrender and fully trust him. Okay? God's good like that, man. He's not going to let us go on a wrong trajectory, but he's going to, we're going to be paused spiritually in, in, a, in maturity until we learn that lesson that we need to learn. And here with the disciples, man, they got the lesson of Jesus can calm the storm. But man, they're going to be in a place where they don't have the Lord with them when he resurrects. And they're going to go through storms and trials and tribulations. And uh, we'll just wrap up. I know we're at time, so just uh, we'll wrap up with ministry reinforced, okay? So think about all the trials. John the Baptist beheaded. You've got the disciples who were called apostles by this point and sent out, and yet their hearts are hard, okay? So we need to not be discouraged if, if uh, discipleship isn't going the way that we thought, if uh, ministry is not always. Jesus had these adversities, and yet Jesus' ministry was resilient. Verse, Mark 6, verse 53, And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick and where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the street and besought him that they might touch it Touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. And when I think about Jesus and his ministry not growing weary, he continued to just to push forward and, and obey the Father. I think, I think about 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, that calls us to endure hardness as a good soldier. Jesus is our captain. Um, Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we can really look at Mark 6 as an example, where it's like, there are many reasons why Jesus should have probably stopped. Cousin got beheaded. His disciples weren't really getting it. And yet, Jesus keeps going, and people are healed because of it. And we can expect the same if we grow weary or if we not be weary in well-doing and faint not. So, Lord, I just pray for um, your strength, pray for your endurance. And God, I pray that um, whatever lesson you have us on in our discipleship with you, that you would help us to, to have a heart of belief that, that you will provide, you will give the increase, that you will get us across to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a great morning. Yeah.